You're listening to the Versus Node Podcast, presented by Gamernode.com. Welcome to episode 22 of the Versus Node podcast. I'm your host and editor-in-chief of Gamernode.com, Eddie Anzato, and I'm here with the crew. Starting on my left, I'm taking a page out of Sin and Cubba's book from the Big Red Potion here, uh, Jason Finelli. How you doing, Jason? It's been a while, fellas. Been yes, a while since we did this. Is. I miss it. Now that I podcast every week, it makes me miss this one so much more. Because it's way better here. No, I'm just, just, <laughs> I, I, just kidding. Your words, not mine. <laughs> and also joining us from not too far away from Jason is Greg Galifa. What's hey. up, Greg? Hey, guys. How's it going? How far apart do you guys actually live from each other? Not half hour, uh, 45 minutes at the most. Yeah, 45, I'd say 45 minutes. Oh, uh, I thought that you were like across the street. No, he's on the other side of the city for me. Yeah. I thought that Philadelphia was one street. It no, is. No. Well. There's only one. <laughs> it's only one. That's why they couldn't put an Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Are you excited? Yes. This is this is the second time I've been on, so this is uh, this is round two for me. All right, we're gonna make sure we have plenty of dubstep for you. Greg is a huge fan of dubstep. We that that was what we bonded on at, uh, <laughs> at PAX. <laughs> yep, and. Someone else who joined us at PAX is also here, Mr. Dan Crabtree. What's hey, up, Dan? Okay, so my understanding is that Philadelphia is one street, and that street is called Nicholas Cage Street. Am I <laughs> wrong? <laughs> correct? Is that yeah. correct or false? That's something we may have to talk about after the, uh, <laughs> after the podcast. Because I, have... I know that he's been there, and everywhere he goes, he generally likes to claim streets. It's actually Rocky Balboa Street because yeah. in Philadelphia yeah. we can only play homage to fi- God, fictional that, sports. That would be heroes. so annoying to go there and just have everyone be like, "Dude, Rocky, woo!" That would not be annoying at all. That would be the <laughs> best thing annoying. ever. The Rocky Saga is the greatest series of movies ever created. Go, <laughs> go, yeah, <laughs> argument. It's you. That is a fact. God, you're just an idiot. Is the thing. Wrong. <laughs> okay. That that may be true. Maybe not that I'm an idiot, but I could be wrong. But um, more importantly, I want to talk about some video games because we're a video game website, not a movie website, not a Philadelphia city website. Yet. So getting there. <laughs> yet. We're going to talk about uh, the first third of 2012 because as it stands right now, we are like a few days away from the official one-third of the way marker through 2012. So let's talk about what's been good, what's been bad, and what games we like the best for the first third. So I say we just jump right into our favorite things that happened this year in gaming and i'm gonna start with jason because you're probably the most enthusiastic of all of us so (laughs) take it away (laughs) i am rather excited about the success so far of operation rainfall now if you don't know what that is operation rainfall was a uh, grassroots internet 
petition type of effort to get three games for the Wii localized. Xenoblade Chronicles, which is out now. The Last Story, which is due out in July, I think, which is where I came up with the thumbs up. And Pandora's Tower, which isn't here yet, but I have a feeling that there's this little event in June where they might say, yeah, we're bringing Pandora's Tower over too. Um, the fact that these kids, kids, players, gamers, whatever they are, were able to join up in such a way that Nintendo, of all companies, Nintendo listened, is phenomenal. Nintendo has been notorious for not localizing or not giving the fans those types of games that they want. Fatal Frame 4 is a good um, ex example of that. Mother 3 is an example. Soma Bringer is an example. So the fact that we're getting these three is fantastic. And it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice new way to look at Nintendo. They're actually adjusting to what people are saying instead of being stubborn. I like yeah, absolutely. that. Absolutely. See, and what I'm really excited about is that, you know, it's not just some some niche bunch of games. I, I mean, I, I'm not super familiar with all of them, but you know that they're coming from, the last story is coming from Mistwalker. Mistwalker, huge, huge uh, RPG sort of dream team. Um, then, obviously, the Xenoblade saga, the whole, that whole series has been uh, a big, big fan favorite. The only one I'm not super familiar with is Pandora's Tower. Uh, I was hoping that you could uh, enlighten me and us about it a little bit, Jason. Pandora's Tower is, is an RPG leveling up and all that stuff, but it, it has to do with like, tow like climbing towers, hence Pandora's Tower. As you climb towers, the, guy's main, the main character's name is Aaron, which is A-E-R-O-N, not Aaron, not Aaron, Aaron. Um, and uh, you just basically be try to become the master of each tower and go along. Not not like Mortal Kombat towers. It's a little bit different. Um, but other than that, they don't really have a lot of information about it because it's all in Japanese and I can't read it. Hmm. All right. Let's see what what else has been really good. Um, Greg, tell us what you think has been great so far this year. Uh, I've just been really enjoying the uh, amount of indie titles that have been coming out recently. Uh, Hell yeah! I've been. I mean, at PAX East, there were a, a huge amount of indie titles uh, playable, and like, you know, there were just so many cool titles there. There was uh, Super Time Force was really cool looking. Yeah. Um, we we chucked we we had a preview up for Transcripted, which I really enjoyed. I thought that was really cool looking. There's this one called, coming out called Axiom Verge, which is like a I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's like a Metroidvania Contra title. Uh. It has like an art style that looks kind of like Contra. It's it's all you know pixelated uh, 2D. I don't know if any if, if any of you guys remember Giver. It was like this. Yes. Yeah, you remember Giver? That does sound familiar. The movie. Um, yeah, yeah. They, there was an anime for it too. That like there's similar art styles there. That it just has a really cool like biotic, mechanical atmosphere. Um, really dark. Really isolated. Um, you know, very, very old school Metroid alien kind of thing going on. Um, there's this one called Banner Saga coming out that's being created by Stoic Games. And uh, it's just like a bunch of guys from Bioware that left. They, I think they worked on the first Mass Effect. They worked on Old Republic. And they're making this like, this really, uh, it's like a 2D strategy game. The art style is phenomenal. It just looks really, really interesting. They have a Kickstarter um, I'm not sure if it's even still going, but that's how they started it up. So it, it's like, it's doing really well. And it looks really cool. 
and you know I've played a bunch so far. I've I've been harping about Dust Force forever now, um, which was a lot of fun. And I played Closure recently. I reviewed that recently. That was really really an interesting, uh, challenging too. That's just a really interesting puzzle game. Um, Against the Wall, which Anthony mentioned in his his article, is this. It's his game. I'm like all about. I get really wrapped up with like majestic, like out there kind of um, like ambient games and against the walls kind of in that vein, you're just this, you just have this giant wall next to you and you can bring out blocks that you can then climb up and your objective is to just keep climbing. And it sounds, it's really simple and it's like kind of therapeutic until you fall. And then you just want to punch a face of a kitten because <laughs> it's it's so frustrating to like build, 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 build. And then like you misstep and you fall and you have to start all over. Nothing I like more than a little kitten punching inducing gaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I looked at a video of Against the Wall and it. I wonder like what would actually make you fall. It doesn't look like there's a lot impeding your progress well i was playing um i think i was playing pre-alpha or alpha i don't even know uh just a really early version of the game so it was difficult for me to get the controls down at first so i was i that's basically why i would fall most times i would just jump up onto a block and i would kind of go further than i intended and try to go back and then in try and go to back i would mess myself up and fall Okay, so so you're just bad at video. So I'm just bad at video games. <laughs> okay. um, I'm just a no. terrible, terrible gamer. So speaking of indie games, you uh, recently saw a, an early screening of indie game, the movie, right? I did. Uh, How yeah, was that? I went, I went to uh, the Ritz in Philly. Uh, I was playing it, and it was it's a really great movie. Uh, the directors were there. Um, then they just were talking about it. It was just. Well, for those that don't know what it is, it's um, a documentary following the creators of uh, of Super Meat Boy, Fez, and uh, Braid. So they have interviews with Jonathan Blow um, and you know uh, Phil Fish, and they you know are basically just going through the development cycle of what it takes to start a game, build it, and market it, and release it, and all the turmoil and drama that ensues through all that and it's just it's a really humbling movie because it it, i think it brings uh this video game world into a different area that most people wouldn't think of and i think that's why it's important like i kept after i saw it i kept saying how people who are both involved with games and gamers and people who aren't should see it because i think it bridges that gap really, really well of, look, this is, you know, this is what it takes. And this is the hardship people go through. And I think everyone would find it uh, really intriguing. Awesome. I'm going to go see it. And and I think it's that sort of, that people component that you're talking about that that's very alluring, that's humanizing about it in a way that's sort of universal. Um, that is, that is, you know, it stops being... You know, whatever the... I, I don't even know what people think about video games anymore in a general sense because they're, it's too stupid. But, you know, whatever, whatever it is that people think about video games, it's, it stops being that, right? And it starts being an art form where there are artists who create 
a thing for people to interact with, which is very much the same as painting or you know, what have you, yada, yada. So. And I think that uh, in the indie game, indie game the movie, goes, it's continuing on its uh, preview tour for a while, and then May 18th, it begins its actual runs in theaters starting uh, at the IFC Theater in New York. So that's something to look out for, and you can check out their website if you're interested. So, Dan, I think your your positive thumbs-up thing of uh, the first third of 2012 is sort of related in, in that... Actually, it's all kind of related in, it, in that it's giving to the to the players, you know, kind of making gaming, giving gaming back to the players. Yeah, which indies are just so horribly and awesomely about, right? Yeah. <laughs> so th- th- that's why it's... I guess that's why it's related. It's it's also unrelated in the sense that I hope that more larger developers will continue to do this, but j- just the idea of free DLC um, or, or just the idea of adding content just to, you know, someone's already paid for a game. They've already given you their $60, and you're saying, not only do I appreciate that for you know the value of what I've already given you, I appreciate it so much, I want to continue giving to you as a gamer, as a consumer, because I think that relationship is that valuable. And so they say, hey, here's some, you know, uh, the, a good example, and I'll probably talk a little bit about it later, is uh, The Witcher 2, the enhanced edition. They came out with a, um, it's not a port, it's sort of uh, more than a port f- um, of The Witcher 2 from PC to 360. But then for the PC gamers, they said, hey, here's 10 gigabytes of free content. And it includes one super, super badass trailer to begin with, um, and, and one at the end, and probably five, six hours of um, added quest content. That's all free. I mean, assuming that you, you have the game to begin with. I love that. Also, there's this game I was, I've been playing right now, and that I'll have a review up for soon. It's called A Valley Without Wind. This is another indie game, very, very indie, by Arson Games. Um, I don't know if it's actually appropriate to say indie in terms of degrees, but I would say if they are indie, <laughs> they are very indie. Uh, in, in that there's maybe, what, four people? Chris Chris Park said in the, in their team, and um, yeah, it's Chris, Pablo, Lars, Philippe, yeah, Keith, and Eric is PR. Okay, yeah, and then there's like Chris's wife who hangs out. <laughs> that's, like to me, that's like super indie. It's just like, hey, my wife hangs out. That's what's up, and um, and it's like it's not graphically so I can blow you away, right? It's sort of this strange mix of old 3D technology. Like, it's not even, like, nice new. It's sort of like that, uh, almost like, N- uh, not, not even N64, like the Super Nintendo version of 3D, which if you can remember back to, like, Super Mario RPG, like how they did, you know, w- what we would call 3D sprites at that time. It was, the, it was just, like, 2D with depth. Yeah, but it, and it's not even, like, that com- convincing, but regardless it's it's a game that's it's a lot of fun it's roguelike it has um uh procedurally generated levels so you can just to infinity and beyond continue playing this thing and and there's multiple continents it'll the game really just never ends um and it also never ends because these developers are always coming up 
with new content for it. I'm sure at some point they'll move on to another project. But, for example, the first day I got the game, and this is pre-release, this is still in beta, there were five updates to it at different times during the day, which to me says, like, so I logged on at, like, 10 a.m., right? Boom, I'm playing, one update. I log on again at, like, 4 p.m., 5 p.m., three updates. I feel like I'm sitting down at the computer with the developer, and he's like, hey, I've been working all day, here you go. This is what I did today, honey. Like, enjoy it. (laughs) Like, how intimate and and wonderful is that connection? I I really enjoyed it. I like the fact that that's happening there. I don't think it's defining of the game. I think it's just a really cool augment to it. Regardless of a Valley Without Win, Witcher 2, the idea of free DLC to me is just super awesome. I I hope that more people really get on board with that. I I get that the gravy train is not where the free DLC is at and that, uh, you know, bigger companies can afford to to charge people for that additional content, but it, it does warm my heart just a little bit to see some upload sc- or download screen pop up and says, oh, here's another good example, Angry Birds. Just got some new Angry Birds space levels. Boom. For free. Nice. Way to, way to go, nice. Finland. <laughs> you go, Finns. You know, and and uh, another heartwarming tale I thought was the whole thing with Double Fine earlier this year, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. everyone just loved Double Fine so much that they instantly funded the Double Fine adventure, and that's that's basically what my uh, my thumbs up of the year is is the whole the whole idea of fans basically being involved in the process and Kickstarter is a big part of that with the Double Fine Adventure and then Wasteland 2 and like Greg mentioned earlier the Banner Saga and I guess Against the Wall had a Kickstarter as well I guess it all ties in all of the the indie stuff and then even with the Operation Rainfall it's fans getting what they want so everything we've really talked about is is getting the players involved in the process it's been a very of, democratic of creation. Uh, beginning of this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been it's been really good. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when Double Fine specifically announced that they were going to be making a game, I was like, yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Fine. Hey, no wonder they made $3 million, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, because there were so many people thinking the same thing. I was really excited to hear about the uh, Shadowrun um, sequel because that was one of my favorite RPGs on SNES, um, and it's like a really unknown. I feel like, well, not maybe not unknown, but I, th- I don't think it's as popular. Um, and I just I think it has a really cool style and um, mechanic, and I'm just I'm excited to see what that does. So that was Shadowrun Returns, and that's another thing that I wanted to mention is that. A lot of adventure games and a few um, turn-based tactics games are starting to to find their way back into the the spotlight. And those are two great old-school genres that sort of disappeared. Well, Kickstarter, to me, as much as I like it, could be a double-edged sword. Because, you know, if the indie guys or guys like Double Fine want to ask for money, fine. But when, like, you know... What if EA, not they ever would, but if that ever happened... God, if, no, no, sh- it would be so disrespectful. Yeah, like, the shitstorm would be through the roof. And then, well, I mean, I if, guess then if people didn't like that, they just wouldn't give money. Well, right. 
But then what if they what if these guys offer some kind of product that for whatever reason they then can't deliver one? Yeah, that's what I always I'm I'm curious about. Like what oh, happens yeah. when like what if the double fine game doesn't live up to expectations? I mean, then what? I mean, I I, I you know, it's a risk going in. You you kind of understand that going in, but I it, honestly it's just like buying a peach. Like you buy a peach and the peach sucks. God, and you just bought a shitty peach. Like that's all there is to it. That's the worst. You, know, you bite I, I into mean, a peach and it tastes like it's got that texture of like wet sand. If yeah. the double fine adventure tastes like wet sand, I will not forgive anyone. Not Dan. Not Tim Schafer. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, I get what Greg is saying. Where he's trying to, you know, he's, and, and the fact of the matter is, if it does suck, like there's going to be some real backlash. But like, hey, capitalism, <laughs> you know, like buyer beware. That's but then how it again, works in our economy. Then again, think about it this way: the the people who are the most likely to have given on Kickstarter like that are probably going to be the most forgiving. If uh, anything <laughs> goes wrong true. with their with their yeah. favorite company, you know, it's like, oh no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get them next time, champ. We'll get them next time. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're right there with them. Yeah. All right. So, what has sucked this year besides rotten peaches? Um, I want to hear what Jason has to say again because it's been a while. We'll just oh, go back through ourselves man. in the same order. Oh man. Oh boy. You want to talk? You were talking about fans oh, getting fans. what they want. And a democratic approach oh, no. to the start, start to the year, which I'm okay with. I love all of those things. But there are times when the fans do it wrong. The idea of retake Mass Effect really pisses me off. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did not even know that there was an organized thing about that. Yeah, it's Operation kind of a- Rainfall, just a lot more dickish. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, this is silly. I'm just going to ignore Operation that. Operation Tearfall. No, it never went away. It never went away. And there's a guy that I follow on Twitter every night before he goes to bed. He says, good night, Twitter, or some message of good night to Twitter, and then three hashtags. Retake Mass Effect, hold the line, occupy Citadel. Jesus, come on. (laughs) Every night. I haven't finished Mass Effect 3, but I have a feeling the ending can't be that bad. It's not. It's brilliant. But I can't tell you why it's brilliant until you beat it. Because it's one of those things that if you don't realize it while you're watching it, once you go back and have it explained to you, I mean, it's a theory, but if it ends up being true, it's brilliant. Okay, well, hold on. Uh, I I just want to have a spoiler cast about it now. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I I don't know that it's brilliant. Come on. Like, it's it's fun, and it, uh, it, like... I really love the Tom Hanksy movie moment at the end. Like, that's cool. Eddie, you should really beat that game. Have you? Yeah, spoiler, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna... Tom Hanks is everywhere in the... Commander Shepard... Commander Shepard is actually a little kid <laughs> in, a, in an adult's body. Yep, yep. He has a volleyball in his closet. But... Mike... My problem is the, the, the central idea of retake Mass Effect is the name retake Mass Effect in and of itself is a misnomer because you can't retake 
something that isn't yours. I, I agree. I agree with you, Jason. The idea that someone who is a well-paid author or community of authors, as a development studio may be, should have to cater to their to their audience after the fact of releasing their authored piece of work, I think is insulting. I agree. If not, if nothing else, you should say, "Hey, I didn't like the game." You know, um, Go maybe it in. was like, maybe it was like um, Army of Two, right? <laughs> hey, I didn't like Army of Two. Let's not talk about it because it was bad, or you know, like, like it's just if you don't like the game, you don't like the game. There's no, I have ownership of this game's intellectual property because I purchased the disc. You know what I'm saying? Like like it's right. It's a false sense of ownership, I think, is is what's driving this and what's so frustrating about it to people who understand that like no, this is an authored work, like you you don't change an authored work. I find it really interesting the way that we just talked about giving a lot of free stuff to gamers after the fact and then now we're talking about gamers demanding after the fact that they get more. And I think that's the difference is that when it's when it's offered up, you know, as a as an act of, of goodwill just out of nowhere, that's really cool and we like it, but when when suddenly we're demanding it and feeling entitlement, then it's like not so cool anymore. Oh that's and, the word. But that's you don't say that word to the Mass Effect people, that E word. You don't say that. Entitled? Oh, they don't like that. <laughs> they don't yeah. like that at all. That's like that's like saying the F word in church. <laughs> you, just, you just don't really like like if you write a post about how they're being entitled little bitches, uh, you'll get fifty replies like that about how we're not entitled. We deserve this because we yeah, bought it. Isn't that it the definition oh, of the man. word though? They're... Okay, so fans are really pissed at Bioware, and that isn't very cool. Um, what else? don't people like yeah i mean mine's also has to do with um developers and fans clashing um i i was you know talking about indie games earlier and on the flip side of the greatness of indie games there's also been some some turmoil there uh there's recently uh there's been some discussion about uh jonathan blow and uh, phil fish phil fish who made uh the recently released fez and jonathan blow who made Braid and is currently working on The Witness. Um, the two of them have kind of made some controversial headlines recently. Uh, Jonathan Blow, specifically for his Atlantic interview, in which he kind of trashes on mainstream gaming and how it is not as intellectual as it could be, and it's more uh, uh, it's more immature than he would like and how he is trying to elevate it into something else with his games. And that kind of, um, you know, understandably brought some controversy with fans uh, who, you know, he, one of the big things about Jonathan Blow is he feels like no one understands Braid. Uh, he always talks about how people, a lot of people assume it's just a love story. I don't know if any of you guys have played Braid. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Eddie, it's like your favorite game, right, Eddie? I enjoyed Braid. Is that is that is that an understatement? I don't know. <laughs> I enjoyed Braid. I, I think I think it's another game a little near to his heart, but I do enjoy Near as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, so he he's kind of known for being uh, argumentative about his stance, you know, about about his games. So, you know, in the interview with the Atlantic, it brought it back up. It brought it back into the spotlight. So it just brought about this, you know, uh, kind of it brought up old hate for for you know like gaming versus art that whole thing that whole debate came up after that um and with phil fish uh he kind of got into the same area uh he said something at gdc uh basically saying that japanese gaming is pretty terrible at the moment like the japanese gaming landscape is just not up to snuff and he had brought about a bunch of you know headlines and people were mad at him and so people were tweeting at him, um, and he tweeted back at them some things. He later apologized for it, I believe, but it was just kind of, I mean, this is this is kind of what happens with, with indie developers sometimes. I mean, it's such an intimate thing. It's such a personal thing they make, and they're in such an in, uh, such a intimate atmosphere that, you know, it can get, it can get ugly. And I think that's, that's something that I, I've always been kind of like bummed out about because... I don't want it to take away from their games because I think their games speak for themselves. I think Fez is a really interesting game despite whatever he said. And I think Braid is a really brilliant game despite the hate or the the, um, the argument behind it. See, I didn't even know people didn't like Jonathan Blow. I didn't even know. I feel like, yeah, a lot of people just see him as a, a little pretentious and... Uh... I don't know. Well, yeah, he's he's an intellectual, right? He's a, yeah, he's very condescending about the way he says it, and and that's fine. Like, he, he he's like the person who says that there's not room for Die Hard, right? <laughs> like, he's the guy who doesn't like Die Hard to the point of saying, you know, at any party where Die Hard is on, like, forget this thing, like we're not watching this anymore. Where it's like, hey, you know, like. People like sensationalist stuff, like get over it kind of thing, you know? But he's the person who's creating that anti-culture, and so it's it's tough. And I think the problem with Braid was always that he presented this really interesting gaming mechanic with time control that players focused on more than the story. I know for me, the thing that everyone always told me about before I played Braid was, you have to play this platformer, you can control time. It wasn't, you have to play as platformer, it has a great story. And it has a really great story, and I think it's, it's you know, it, it layers on top of the mechanic. But I think the initial face value that people took it at was its mechanics. And I think that's kind of where people stopped interpreting it. And, it, and it, you know, as an artist, that can be frustrating, and I can see where he's coming from. But at the same time... I know if I didn't research Braid, I probably wouldn't even known about the subplots that are layered on top. No, I mean, you have to read. Well, you have to read. It's <laughs> 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 the thing, right? In order to get all of that juicy subplot, <laughs> you really you have to use this really awful thing called reading comprehension. No! Um, and it turns out that Americans hate that. Yeah, not so, a big fan. Um, yeah, so my bad news of the year so far is uh, is the Vita. Not that the Vita is bad hardware, because it's good jams. I like it. I like <laughs> the, the feel of the Vita. I like 
the library of old games that the Vita has. I do not so much care for the library of new games. And maybe this isn't a huge surprise. The 3DS certainly started out pretty slowly. Um, the PS3 also, a console that started out with a really meager, I would say, uh, software offering. One that didn't really justify the price for it. Um, and right now, I'm kind of feeling like my pockets are light for what I'm getting um, in terms of the new software. Get a new Uncharted, like, okay, it was alright. It was a little gimmicky, right? Um, I loved Rayman Origins, but that was really just a port. Um, Super Stardust, Luminase, you know, maybe one or two others. Some tactics games. Well, but that yeah, that's the thing is like what I'm actually playing on the Vita the majority of the time is the stuff that was available in oh, I don't know, 1997 on my PlayStation, right? Final Fantasy Tactics is what I'm playing on my <laughs> PS Vita because it's portable. And that, I mean, that's a cool thing that you could take a PlayStation game anywhere. I'm happy about that, but I'm pretty I have sure you to could imagine- do that on the PSP though. Yeah, I think you could already. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but are you had, playing, but are you playing the, the PSP PS1 version it? of Final Fantasy Tactics, or are you playing the PSP version? I think it's the, it's probably the PSP version. I was going to say, that patch didn't come out yet. I've been waiting for that. <laughs> okay, yeah. In, either way, the idea is that whether it was on the PSP or if it was on the PS1 or what have you, those are the games that are worth playing on the Vita right now. And that's super disappointing for the 300-plus, you know, price tag on this thing. So I'm saying, let's get some new software in there. I don't even know what's really been announced in terms of uh, the future software. I mean, honestly, when I bought my PS Vita, I was like, hey, you know, Ken Levine said to. So... (laughs) That was it. Whatever Ken Levine says, Dan does. I'm not sure that I can tell him no. (laughs) He's going to see him at E3. You told me to buy this. You dick. Um, I'm going to be really boring uh, with with my bad news of the year because, you know, I I didn't really care about the fan reaction to Mass Effect 3. I just kind of dismissed it like whatever. And nothing else really struck me as horrible. But I'm going to just jump right on the bandwagon with Dan and say the Vita is not really doing anything for me. Like, I don't know why it has 3G. The touchscreen is... Whatever. I mean, the games that have been coming out using the touchscreen are basically 99 cent iPhone games. Um, the yeah, rest for of it, fifteen dollars. Right. The, the rest of it is the PSP, and there are a couple new releases. Yeah, that but, but guys, I could do that. Guys, it's getting Skype. Skype, <laughs> cool. Cool. I have Skype oh on my, my phone, which is always <laughs> with me and is smaller. It's- it's really it's taking my sexting game to a whole new level. It's <laughs> the big thing. <laughs> no, it, it, I mean that's true. It's it's got apps. The Twitter app is yeah. really pretty good. Would it's got Netflix. It it? I mean, would you use your Vita for Twitter? No, no, I would no. not. But well, it's here... very good if I decide. I mean, this to. is this has really been a theme for a while now with video game consoles. I don't. Honestly, I don't use my game consoles for all this other stuff. I mean, some people, I guess they do. Maybe you guys do. But I just, like, I don't go on Facebook on my Xbox. Yeah. I don't know. You think, know, like... <laughs> I think Microsoft said that 
more users of Xbox use it for like Netflix and movies than they use it for actual games. I could yeah, be wrong time. about that. No, that's, that's correct. That's sixty uh, percent of users use it for entertainment purposes only. Yeah. So. And games are not entertainment, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> They're art. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I think it's an isolated thing, though. I think it's like Netflix and Hulu Plus. Yeah, that's primarily. It. Yo, honestly, yeah, no, that's the only thing I use on my uh, on my PlayStation Three is Netflix. So yeah, once again, we are a third of the way through the year, and why not keep a running record of what we think the game of the year is? And I want to just get right on with it and this time i'm going to start with greg okay. what is what's your game of the year so far greg my game of the year is journey with uh without a doubt i, w- I would say mass effect 3 is close behind it but uh journey is definitely my game of the year um i've been excited about this game since i heard about it you know uh i forget how many how long ago that was now but when i first heard that this game was being created and it was this you know, uh, experiment with communication and gaming and uh, it's just more about adventure and exploration. I was, I was hooked. I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah, definitely getting this. Um, and I, I, you know, when I first played it, uh, I have to admit, I was actually kind of bummed out that there wasn't more exploration. I think the game kind of keeps itself on rails um, it definitely, you know, there's definitely places to go and places to see, but I was hoping for more of a open world um, that I could go around in and like, you know, there would just be random people in it. But anyway, since I, when I played it the first time, uh, I have to say I walked away from it with an experience I've never had before with the game. Um, the, the communication aspect, you know, where you can't talk to the other people in the game, you don't even know who they are. It's just a a chirp, you know, just a, a sound you make. Um, to to boil that down to that simple of a formula is so genius because it you're you're relying on on each other in a way that you know you're not in the same room. You you can't talk to each other over a microphone. So you basically just have to watch out for one of another one another and build a relationship on something other than speech and. In doing that, it becomes so endearing, and I wasn't expecting that when I first played it. Um, by the end, I was at, like the first time I played through, uh, I was I kept watching out for the person I was with. I didn't know where they were. I was like, and at the end, I lost them. I didn't. They they disappeared. Either the player signed off, or I just I lost them along the way. And I was like sitting at the very end of the game, waiting for the person to come. And like I was like, no, no. No, not coming. Okay, well, and I was I was actually like disappointed. I was I was really bummed out that this person who I went through all this with uh, didn't actually show up, and I had to end the game by myself. And then I, I after you beat it, you know, they show you who you played with, and I found out I actually played with like six different people, so it didn't even matter anyway. Um, but still, I think like I think the game kind of works on a language that gamers are familiar with um you know about like where you can go and where you should be headed and you know i think it it, that is just so interesting to me and so so engaging um that i i just got lost in it i mean i'm i'm a big fan of like shadow of the colossus is probably my my biggest my favorite game and i'm a big fan of like these ancient 
um, ruined worlds that, you know, you don't really know what happened to them and you, you kind of explore them and there's just structures and, and places that you see and you have no idea why they're there. They're just there. And, you know, there's no questioning. There's no real story. And I think that's, that's what is the best about it. You kind of just fill in the blanks yourself with whatever you want. I, I would disagree. I, th- I think that there are, th- that there is a story. I, I mean, I think the story is background more than anything else, right? The the actual experience is, is less narrated. Um, but I do think that the, that it's saying something and that it's putting forth a narrative. Yeah, and I think, but I, I guess what I mean is there's no like beginning, middle, and end to a character or you know a plot. There's just there's just the journey. That's you know that's all there. And I and you're right that can be considered a story. I mean there is there is your story to the game, what you did in the game. And I think the the level of of intimacy is so great. Like for example. Uh, when I played through recently, at the end of the game, I made it through with the the person the whole time, um, and at the end of the game, we were like we were walking up, and there's this patch of snow, and the person I was playing with started making hearts, and in, in the sand, and like as we were walking toward the end of the game, just kept making hearts and chirping and stuff. You know, it, it, it's it's just one of those things that you you can't experience in any other form of of entertainment, like. This person, I don't know. I don't know where they're from, who they are. Like, they're, you know, sim- trying to uh, convey a sense of, you know, friendship that y- can't be done through words. And I think that is just so, on such a level um, of of focus that I, you know, I, I just, I couldn't, I can't even describe it. <laughs> Clearly, I'm, I'm losing I- words here. I, no, no, I think I think that's that sounds pretty spot on. I I really enjoy the discussion about language, and it's almost like I mean you can't talk to each other, and it makes me think about two people who don't speak the same language trying to figure out a way to communicate, or or people communicating with animals, and then you're talking about how the game itself is written in a language that gamers understand, and and I wonder about the level of of instinct involved in playing Journey that makes it so effective in an emotional sense is that it's something that is deeply rooted in our human nature. Just the way that we play Journey is like... Like, I'm with you guys. I I feel like these are... Like, the people that you play with, obviously, are complete strangers. I shouldn't care about them. I shouldn't worry about them. I shouldn't be concerned with them because it's my journey. I'll play it how I want. Yet I found myself really, like, relying on them. Like, if I didn't know where to go and they did, I'd be the follower. And there would be times where I'd be the leader. And it's that, it's that give and take. Games, games don't usually do that. It's either you know your role and you do it, or it's one of those open world games where you can just basically do whatever the hell you want whenever you feel like it. But Journey is... Oh, one, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. But it, it, Journey... One of those newfangled things. Journey is more... For me, it was more of a give and take with a complete stranger. And that, I think, is, is where the beauty of Journey lies. Yeah, and I, I think... I think an important message of Journey is that when you let people talk to each other, they're f- 
just assholes. <laughs> yeah, but like when... especially if it's online and they can't actually see each other. Yeah. It's just like, hey, what's up, racism and sexism? No, and I, I think I think that's right. And I think uh, with Journey, it's especially true because I know with me, like when I would play through, like the last time I played through, the person I was playing with was in the white robe. So, you know, they had done everything. That means, that signifies that they have done everything you can you can get in the game. They've completed the game. Uh, oh my to- god, spoiler alert. Sorry, sorry guys. <laughs> um, color alert, color, color alert. It's, it's not Mass Effect. Um, but, uh, so, when I was playing with them, they were kind of, you know, leading me on, and like, like oh, here's where we need to go next, and here's the next thing, and here's the next thing. And I think... If there was um like a ability to talk to each other, I would feel so inadequate. <laughs> like the person would be like, "Oh, right, we have to go over here. All right, let's do this. All right, come over here. What are you doing? Get over here. We need to get this thing." And um, that also, I think that's one of the flaws of the game is that like if you do get wrapped up in that, it's I imagine it's like it's like Jurassic Park. Like the T Rex doesn't want to be fed; he wants to hunt. And like that's kind of how I felt with it. Like I kind of wanted to go off and do my own thing sometimes, but like Jason was saying, I also wanted to stick with the partner and in doing that, it limits your own play sometimes because they just, sometimes your partner just wants to stick to, you know, looting and getting everything you can get in the game rather than just kind of taking your time and exploring it. You know what? Uh, Journey, Journey's actually, I'm going to reveal this now. Journey's also my game so far of 2012. And um, one one thing that I found when I was playing that that struck me as a beautiful moment for whatever reason was, you know, after I had met up with my, with the first person and we had shared our romps through the sand and like done a few things together. And then, and then this person wanted to keep going, like follow the path forward. Like you said, it sort of ushers you along. I was just like, um, okay, I'll see you later. It was good hanging with you. And then I continued to hang out in that one spot because I wanted to look at more stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, they can just, you know, anyone who you who you meet can just come into your life, spend some time that is good quality time, and then exit your life, you know, maybe with fond memories. And, you know, your journey continues. And and I was like, wow, that's great. Because I wasn't, I wasn't compelled to go with them. I was just like, cool. Yeah, it was good. It was good hanging with you. I'll I'll see you later. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> That's how old I am. That's how oh. that you chirped that at them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I'm still on the whole romps in the sand comment. So just leave me behind. Really is what I'm saying. You know, there's just also there's also a great connection in in my mind between the way you play Journey in multiplayer and the way demon souls affected me in a multiplayer setting in that when people are alone and faced with you know this this grand unknown sort of oppressive environment or, or you know maybe potentially oppressive environment in the case of journey you don't really know what's going on you tend to bond you band together so in demon souls there are people always trying to leave helpful messages of course there are some of the dicks who say oh step forward here and and then you do and, and you <laughs> yeah. die but but for the most part people in that community who are in that situation individually yet together they they really want to help one another because it's almost like helping themselves but externally and and i found that that was a connection there in two games that i really really enjoy 
dot dot dot. Journey is a great game. <laughs> Journey is hey, that's how we the, the, just cut the entire podcast and just be like, <laughs> Greg's like, so my game is Journey and Journey is a great game. <laughs> then that's it. Okay, so we have one more great game of 2012 to talk about, and that will leave all to Dan because nobody no. else is going to talk to you, Dan. After this, my you know what. Journey was definitely up there for me. I, I gave it a 5 out of 5 on Gamernub. Probably the game that I'm most intrigued by right now, though, at least, is a game that I gave a 4 out of 5, um, which is The Witcher 2. Um, and and I I gave it a 4 out of 5, even with some of that extra DLC in there, just because I feel like it's a little bit... Um, it's going to be hard for some folks to get into. It's... it's um, because it's so narrative heavy, because it's um, so uh, thematically adult in big old air quotes, um, because it's very Game of Thronesy, right? I don't know if, if anyone else is is a big Game of Thrones fan, but yes, right. It, it you know it it has that component to it where you really have to engage with it intellectually, and you have to allow yourself to to um, interact with the narrative to say that or, or not even the narrative but the world that it, itself that the narrative is seated in to say like yeah no I totally believe that elves are in in the Witcher 2 for example the elves are sort of these renegade gorilla ops guys who really hate everyone else because as it turns out everyone in the Witcher 2 is a huge racist like uh, which I, I think is also one of those interesting reflections of reality um, that you really only get from Polish developers, right? You get an American developer, someone's like, well, Harmony of the Races, come on, guys. Like, you know, everyone's... No, you get a Polish developer, and they're like, people hate each other if they're not the same. Except and that's... for, uh, think, think of uh, Ash from Mass Effect. She was, uh, <laughs> right. she was right. quite a racist back then. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the isolated racism every so often in American <laughs> developers. Um, and it, it, far be it for me to say, hey, we should have more games with racists in them. But <laughs> I think I do think it's interesting and it has its place when it makes sense. And, and it makes sense in this sort of fantasy reality where you have dwarves and you have elves and, and it's this very uh, understood nomenclature from, you know, going back to Tolkien, where elves are, of course, sort of these high, you know, these higher beings. They live forever, and so everyone defers to them as the de facto perfect creatures. But what if, you know, everyone hated the elves because of their power? What if they took them away because the humans, in fact, took, took the land, and they relegated the elves to the woods. And then there was a lot of this hate brewing. I think there's there's something just in a very basic way interesting about that. Um, and there's something very human about it, too. Um, this The idea of of ostracizing people, of, of and certainly human history is fairly fraught with that. So, I mean, even outside of that whole narrative and that world, though, it's a fantastic game. The Action RPG really heavy on skilled combat. Like it's it's a tough game. You'll play bosses multiple times before being able to beat them, kind of thing. Like it's a it's a tough game. It's a fun game because of that. It's it's rewarding. Um, it causes you to stop and think. A lot of your success in battle depends on um, being able to predict what's 
coming up and giving yourself some augments or some buffs um, to your stats prior to a battle by doing this this meditation function, which is um, annoying at first, to be fair. Uh, at first, you're like, why do I have to do this? And then after a while, you're kind of like, well, this is very com- contemplative. It's very... Uh, um, it, it, it causes you to to pause and think, which is not something that a lot of games do. I, I, you know, a lot of RPGs, especially now, it's like, oh, well, I'll just go with the thing that's better all the time. Well, what if you don't know when you need the thing that's better? What if that thing that's better is limited so that you can only use it here and there? When do you use it? So having to make those more difficult choices, I think, is is what drives The Witcher 2. Uh, it, it was a component of the original game, as well, but I think they've really streamlined it here, and um, and there, you know, if if you don't really care about anything that I've said, there's a lot of boobies, there's there's a <laughs> there's a ton of boning, so it's there's a lot, a lot like of boning and boobies, um, and then there's some more boobies, so that's The Witcher too. Boobs. Yeah, yeah, there are boobs within the first. Uh... Two minutes, right? Yeah, and they just keep on rolling, buddy. <laughs> Boob town. Yep. Awesome. Well, and and as you know, we when we were at PAX East, we talked to some of the folks from CD Projekt Red, and they were they were almost upset at the American sensibility about sex. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, Eddie, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, and they were just they were saying like, why is it that Americans? are so cool with Mortal Kombat, for example. Just chopping off people's heads left and right, no big, hey, let's split someone in half and eat their insides. Like, not a big deal. Oh my god, was that a nip slip? Let's freak out. Right? And that, and that is the that is the American sensibility. And when you think about it from that European perspective, it is kind of ridiculous, right? And uh, and so it's it's interesting to see that come out in a game like this. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think Eddie's the only other one who's played The Witcher 2, right? I play a little bit. And maybe, oh, did you? Okay. So, yeah, I have not. I'm, I'm interested. I was, I was actually curious to know how it transitions from PC to Xbox. Really, really well. Yeah, <laughs> better, better than being on the PC, I would say. Yes. Awesome. So have we picked a game of the year for the first uh, four months, or are we just going to leave that open-ended? Let's leave I it. think we could probably safely say something like Journey, right? Yeah, I feel like we, I that mean, was picked the majority of the time. It's number two for me. I mean, number Journey one. Effect 3, Assassins of Kings? <laughs> yes, I like it. <laughs> there you That's go. it. There you go. That's it. Hold on, what would Murph say? WWMF, right guys? <laughs> what, what's F? He would say probably Mass Effect 3, although he hasn't finished it yet. Yeah. Okay. Because he actually said that to me a little bit earlier tonight. Direct quote. That's fair. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, so so that's what we're looking at. Journey and Mass Effect 3 leading the charge. And, you know, a game from 2011 coming back to try to make one last stand. It's impressive. And doing a good job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So um, I'm curious to know what the listeners would pick for these things. This isn't something we've done much on Versus Node, but why not? We have Twitter. We are on the Twitter, and we exist on the Internet, and we have Facebook and all those things. So if you're listening and you want to answer us 
on Twitter. Um, we'll actually ask it there so you can directly reply to make it so easy on you. And um, tell us what you think the best game of the year was so far. And also, what you know, what was cool about the beginning of the year and what sucked about the beginning of the year. And uh, we'll mention it on the next show, which will yeah. be way sooner than our last gap between shows was. I say we do it just about this time next month, because then not only can we talk about what the people say here, we can also preview E3. Ooh. We could do that. We could do it even sooner. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. Whoa. Foreshadowing. <laughs> In the meantime, head over to Gamernode. Check out our previews from PAX East. We have a, a bunch of new stuff that went up. The most recent one was a tactics game, XCOM, Enemy Unknown, which is part of why I'm excited about the you know resurgence of tactics. Got uh, Trials Evolution review. Some other reviews went up. Indie game Vessel, which Jason actually enjoyed getting yeah. into the indie scene like the rest of us. Um, a crappy club. crappy Vita game, um, which are two <laughs> Assassins of Kings. A bunch of new stuff going up, and not to mention news. There, you know, things happen every day. You can uh, check that out there too. Like I'm gonna um, write one as soon as we're done. Awesome, awesome. And then you can follow at Big Man Finelli on Twitter to follow Jason. You could follow. Have you changed it to the Galif yet, or is it still Greg Galif? I haven't changed it to the Great Galif, but I haven't okay. gotten around. To it. So it's it's right now it is Greg Galifa on Twitter, and then in addition to Big Man Finelli and the Gagalif or, <laughs> or Greg Galifa, whatever he wants to call himself, we have the very plain. Dan R. Crabtree and oh, Eddie Inzotto. So lame. You might as well not even follow us. It's going to be boring. Yeah, and uh, that's it. And of course, Gamernode on Twitter, which you would have to know in order to follow us to submit your answers to what I just asked before. So it's, yeah, it's at Gamernode on Twitter, and we are facebook.com uh, slash gamer node how simple is that um, simple, isn't it? so that's it for the show thanks guys that was very very insightful i know a lot more about 2012 now yes and more to come so uh we'll catch you next time see you later peace yeah, see you later